Okay, coming up on today's episode, what is in the Inflation Reduction Act? We're going to break down that bill. We're going to talk about Gen Z and quiet quitting. We're going to talk about how much it costs to raise a kid these days and why air travel may be getting a lot faster here in the near future. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Financial Pathway Podcast with Nate Skelly, where we discuss important financial questions and give you practical advice to guide you on your financial journey. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing and leaving us a review. You can also follow the Financial Pathway page on Facebook for more helpful financial tips and videos. Okay, so of the biggest stories that I've read this month, I think we should start with the Inflation Reduction Act. Probably the biggest thing that's been in the news here in the last four weeks. The Build Back Better Act, if you remember that, that was the piece of legislation that was supposed to be the signature legislation for President Biden. He talked about it even when he was running for president. It was a really ambitious, very bold, big spending plan. Three and a half trillion dollars was the original price tag, and there were a lot of things in it. But that never went through. They didn't have enough support within the Democrat Party to get it through. So what recently got passed just here this month was the Inflation Reduction Act. So new name, what it is is a big scaled down version for the most part of the original Build Back Better Act, and it comes in at about one fifth of the price tag, around 700 billion. So Washington has this long-standing tradition of naming bills after things that it really doesn't have anything to do with because it sounds better. Um, in my humble opinion, I don't think it will be in reducing inflation. Um, there are some independent budget studies that have been shown. They've run the projections and they show the bill really is not going to have any significant impact on inflation, basically going to keep it right where it is. Not going to hurt it, not going to help it. Um, so what will it do? If it's not going to reduce inflation, what are we talking about here? Well, there are some new spending proposals, but the rule now is anytime Congress passes a new law to increase spending, they have to, within the bill, create provisions for how they're going to pay for it. Because our government makes money through tax revenue, and they spend money on a variety of different things. So, so how are you going to pay for it is one of the big questions. So we make most, I say we, U.S. government makes most of their money from income taxes, about 50%. 30% of the revenue comes from Medicare and Social Security taxes, your FICA taxes, 10% from corporate taxes, and then 10% from other miscellaneous sources. So in order to pay for this new spending bill, there is going to be some increased revenue in a couple areas, and then they're going to try to cut back on spending in a couple other areas to make this all work. So what's happening is we're not actually going to try to reduce the gap between our spending and our revenue because that's a big gap right now. What we're doing is saying, okay, we're not going to increase the deficit, if that makes sense. I mean, it's kind of like you got a husband and wife that are spending more than their income. They're making 80000 a year and they're spending one hundred and twenty. So they're deeply in debt. And the husband comes home and he says, all right, uh, I figured out how we can get a new truck. The new truck that I wanted to, to get, we can afford the payment. The wife says, well, how are we going to do that? We're already spending too much money. He says, not to worry. Um, I cut out a couple subscriptions and I'm working five hours of overtime a week. So we'll make $85,000 a year and then we can spend one hundred and twenty-five. So we're not reducing or increasing our deficit. We're still overspending by the same amount, but that's kind of the idea here. I mean, in a, in a nutshell, okay, don't take that analogy too far, but, but essentially this is what we're talking about. Increase revenue, cut some spending in some other areas, but increase spending overall, but we're not going to 
increase the deficit. That's that's what's going on right now. So there are ma five main parts of the bill, five main areas. Uh, one is that there is a new minimum 15% corporate tax rate. Uh, corporations are also taxed, but at different rates than individuals would be taxed. A lot of corporations use the tax code to their advantage because it's very convoluted and has lots of loopholes to pay no income taxes or to pay no corporate taxes. And so this bill would hope to kind of eliminate those loopholes, so to speak, and make sure that corporations are at least paying something each year. Um, another big component is prescription drug price reform. Medicare, which is run by the U.S. government, um, negotiates a lot of prices, particularly prescription drug prices, for people that are on Medicare. And so there are some new laws about price restrictions and and the government's hoping to spend or to save a lot of money in that area with some of these changes here and that's going to help offset the cost so they're going to try to save money on the cost of prescription drugs and some other some other things um, another way they're going to increase revenue is by getting more stringent on tax enforcement and a big component of that is they're hiring thousands i think it's over eighty thousand new uh, irs employees so Certainly not everybody pays their taxes or pays taxes as they should in this country. So there are hundreds of billions of dollars in taxes that don't get paid that should get paid each year. So by the IRS focusing in on that, kind of clamping down on those situations, that's at least the idea that that'll help to raise tax revenue um, by a little bit each year. There are also some different subsidies with the Affordable Care Act and how much they're... Um, helping to lower premiums for people that get health insurance through the, the government marketplace. And then the another really big part of the spending side of this bill has to do with um, energy and climate change. Uh, a big focus for the Biden administration and for the Democrats right now is investing in clean energy, trying to give tax credits and incentives for individuals and for companies to get away from fossil fuels and to use more renewable sources of energy. So there's a lot of spending in the bill for those things. So that's the big headline for this month. The article goes into greater detail. So if you're interested in knowing, okay, what's actually in this bill, what's gonna be changing, that I, I, would, I would encourage you to look into that. The uh, second article I wanna highlight for you is about Gen Z and quiet quitting. I, I, have to, I have to chuckle because I feel like my generation, the millennials, we have passed on the torch of scorn from us to Gen Z. So people aren't talking about how terrible millennials are anymore. They're talking about how terrible Gen Z is, which is just kind of how it always goes. The young generation gets you know, all of the uh, all of the blame and um, all the derision. It's always going to be the case. I don't care what culture you live in, what time frame. Young generations always going to be looked at as these kids are clueless. When I was their age, we weren't like this. They're going to ruin it all. You know, ruin it for everybody. Every new new generation has a level of cluelessness, a level of overconfidence. So I think that's always going to be the case. But here's probably the the newest uh, evidence or the newest ammunition to go after Gen Z. So it sparked apparently in July with a viral video on TikTok talking about quiet quitting. And basically the premise was, all right, Gen Zers, which, you know, is main people that, that the, the video was targeted at, was don't do anything more than the baseline minimum at your job. Like these companies are taking advantage of you. They're asking you to go above and beyond and they're not compensating you fairly for that. So therefore, 
don't do anything more than what you're supposed to do. And in that sense, you're quote unquote quiet quitting. You're not quitting your job. You're still going to get paid, but no longer are is your employer going to get more from you than they should is the idea. So that's caught on. A lot of people are uh, embracing this idea. And uh, to me, it's funny because I, I think it just kind of shows how the pendulum swings, right? There's a time, there was a time in our country, not too f far back in our history, when employers really held all the reins of power. People felt fortunate just to have a job, and certainly corporations took advantage of that, uh, asked people to work in, in you know, just really terrible conditions, gave them very little benefits, pay was very meager. So, you know, certainly there's there's generations of Americans that have, um, you know, that, that have that have been taken advantage of um, in the corporate world, and and I and I get all of that. And certainly, um, if there's a toxic work environment, that's not something that you know is healthy for people to stay in. But I think what we're seeing today is you have a whole generation of young people that look at gainful employment as almost a, a, a birthright, that uh, I should always have gainful employment available to me, and the second that I don't like it, it's time for me to just go find a new one. And we really haven't had a time frame in our country with probably the exception of the Great Recession 2008. There's not really been an example in recent memory, especially for younger folks, of a time where people just felt lucky to have a job at all, like to have any kind of gainful employment. So it really is kind of a luxury in a sense for employees to be pushing back this hard on employers and talk about things like quiet quitting. And um, while I certainly hope that we don't run into that situation again where people are falling on really hard times and the unemployment rate skyrockets and people are, you know, um, submitting 100 applications for you know one job opening that may happen and when those times happen nobody's talking about quiet quitting so the pendulum swings and i think this is the latest example of the pendulum swinging farther in one direction uh third article is how much does it cost to raise a kid so uh here's what the hill came to in their research cost of raising a kid from the time they're born to the age of 17 not including college is $310,000. That's a really staggering number when, when you think about it. So for a family of three kids, you're looking at almost a million dollars from birth to right up to college age, just for just for the basics. Now, I mean, obviously in my opinion, it's a well, it's a very worthwhile investment, but that is a lot of money. And, and if you're interested to kind of see the breakdown and how they came to those conclusions of those numbers, can check out that article it's very interesting and then um, last article is about how uh, commercial flights could be getting faster here soon or at least I hope we'll have some faster options it would be really cool there's a new jet manufacturer named boom they're in North Carolina they have contracts already commitments from American Airlines and United Airlines to build a new fleet of jets they go Mach 1.7 so it's about 1,300 miles an hour. So you could get from the U.S. to Europe in under four hours. You could get from San Francisco to Tokyo in about six hours. The planes themselves are a really sleek design. They're a little bit smaller in seating capacity, so I would expect tickets to probably be a little bit pricier for these flights. But, um, but it, it begs the question, like, why don't more 
airlines have faster flights, right? Like, why doesn't Delta or United or American, like, why don't they kind of one-up the competition and say, oh, we'll get you there faster? It really all comes down to fuel efficiency. The reason why commercial flights don't go that fast typically is because they use a lot more fuel. So by flying a little bit slower, now I mean, granted, planes fly plenty fast, but relatively slower, it helps on the fuel efficiency side of things. So Boom says their first plane should be ready by 2026, and they already have commitments from two major airliners to buy some of these jets. So I'd be kind of interested to see if, if we have some more options um, getting us from point A to point B a lot faster. Really cool. Okay, well, there are the top articles. I hope you'll subscribe to the Money Minute email if you're not already. And as always, thanks for listening to the podcast, and I will see you on the next episode.